Good morning, everyone. Now, who was here last week and heard Lindsay's sermon? A few of you away, like me, I would encourage you to listen to it online because uh, Lindsay gave an excellent presentation on what church is all about and he very clearly explained the biblical and historical basis of what we do and why we do it. And uh, it's really worth listening to and I think uh, if you can get that online, please do. Also, Lindsay was looking ahead as we have thought about and reflected on what God wants for our church. Uh, Lindsay uh, explained the vision for the church for the next five years and uh, it's good to look ahead. If we're going to look ahead and see growth in this church uh, numerically and spiritually, then one of the things that we need is godly, godly leadership. It's vital for any church to grow, both numerically and spiritually. We need to review the current leadership and we need to look ahead to the future leadership of this church, both deacons and elders. And uh, that's what we want to do. Over the next couple of weeks, we want to have a look at the subject of church leadership and uh, reflect on that. You see... Elders are not necessarily in the role for life. It's not a till death do us part sort of thing. Uh, although I think some people had that view in the past. But uh, we need renewal. We need to be thinking about what God intends for us to do. Each one of us and leaders in particular. And we need more elders. We need more deacons uh, if we uh, want to see what we believe God has for us to come. Uh, so the next couple of weeks, this week we're going to talk about the qualifications of elders and deacons and next week I want to talk about the roles of elders and deacons in the church. Uh, so you, I hope you've all or most of you have a survey form. One of the things that we've thought of doing is to survey uh, various aspects of our church life and fellowship, give you the opportunity to uh, respond to that and today's survey is just about church leadership and uh, I don't need to fill it in today, probably best to wait until after next week and reflect on the uh, biblical foundations for godly leadership in the church and then you can complete that form if you would. Now, if, um, uh, we also would like you to propose who you think uh, maybe you've identified some in the church who would make good elders and deacons. We'd like you to tell us that and we'd like you to say why, okay, why you think that. Um, now, the current elders in the church is Lindsay and Daryl and myself and the deacons, Graham, Robbie and Sean. So, if you want to talk to any of us over the next couple of weeks, please feel free to do so. Now, I came across a uh, quote uh, that was attributed to uh, Norman Schwarzkopf. Remember him? Storm and Norman. He, is, uh, he was the... Uh, United States Army four-star general that led the forces, the coalition forces in the Gulf War in 1991. And uh, he said, leadership consists of character and strategy. If you can't have both, opt for character. I thought it was a little bit ironic that in the last presidential election, that character was a casualty. 
and I don't know that there's too many that I've heard defending the character of actually either of the main contenders for President of the United States. And I think most people voted on strategy over character. It won out. And I think that was rather sad in many respects. And I think I was thinking when I thought about that quote that it would be a very sad thing if elders and deacons are appointed on the basis of strategy over character. It would, res it would result in sick churches. Uh, Chuck Swindle said, <coughs> once said, he said, leaders need to cultivate two things. <coughs> they need to cultivate a righteous heart and a rhinoceros skin. <laughs> and both of those don't come easy. Do they? We need to spend time with God to live out the, um, our salvation, what God has saved us to, to develop godly living. Be holy because I'm holy, God says. Uh, the Bible teaches that its, its character is absolutely vital. It's of vital importance when it comes to leadership in particular in the church. And uh, integrity and the love for God's people are really critical elements of leadership in the church. So as you ponder about those things over the next couple of weeks, just think about that in relation to our church. Now, there are two kinds of leaders that are mentioned in the scripture in the New Testament, elders or overseers and deacons. And 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 are your two primary scriptures where you go to to, to look at particularly the qualifications of elders and deacons. So do read through those. We're going to refer to a lot of those scriptures and some others as well over the next couple of weeks. Now, there are terms that you'll come across. Overseer, elder, pastor. What do they mean? Uh, are they describing different persons in the church? Uh, well, no. They aren't describing different persons. They are describing the same leadership role in the church. How do we know that? Well, there are some scriptures which help us uh, in that regard. So if you have a look at this, you'll see... When Paul writes to Timothy, he says, look, I left you there, uh, to Titus, sorry, I left you there so that you might appoint elders in every town. Then he says, an elder must be blameless and so forth. The very next verse he says, since an overseer. So the overseer and the elder is the one person. Acts 20, 17, when Paul calls for the elders of the church of Ephesus to meet him at Miletus, this is what he says in verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. There you go. He called the elders, but he now calls them overseers. Furthermore, he says, be shepherds. That's where we get the word pastor. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Ephesians 4.11 was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers and it seems that those two terms are actually linked together. They are describing the one person, the shepherd, the, the, the pastor teacher and thus I think Paul is suggesting that one of the chief roles of pastor is feeding the flock through teaching the word of God. That's the primary, one of the primary means of feeding the flock of God which is to teach the word of God and that's a role that clearly Paul assigns to the elder and the overseer in 1 Timothy and in Titus 1. What does Peter say? He says, to the elders among you. So here's another key passage. To the elders, I appeal as a fellow elder. What is more does he say? He says, be shepherds, be pastors of God's flock. 
that is under your care, serving as overseers. So you see the, the connection between these words describing the same role within the church. How do we understand these words? Well, I think we, there's a distinction here we can make as follows. Elder, uh, the, the, word, the Greek word is presbyteros, and it describes really the man for who he is, as a mature and a wise Christian um, in a leadership role in the church. Now, presbyteros, you might, uh, that might be vaguely familiar. That's where we get our word Presbyterian from. The Presbyterian church is a church that is governed by elders, ruling elders and teaching elders. So they make a, a clear distinction between ruling and teaching elders. We, we don't think necessarily that, that's, um, the, that the Bible is teaching that specifically, but that's how the Presbyterian church sees it. Uh, we see all elders should have some ability to teach and they should all be involved in overseeing in the church. Uh, so then we have the words overseer or bishop, sometimes translated as bishop, and the word pastor or shepherd. And that describes what he does. And so the, the overseer, it comes from the word episkopos, and you've probably heard that expression before. It's where we get the Episcopalian church from. And the Episcopalian-type churches, the Episcopalian-structured churches, are churches like the Church of England, the Anglican Church, the Roman Catholic Church. There's an Episcopalian-structured church in that they are governed by bishops. Uh, or, bishop, or a bishop. Um, but the word in the New Testament really has the idea of one who watches over God's people. And the word pastor or shepherd, poimain, stresses that he is to care and to feed the church as God's flock. And this is what Peter says. He says, he tells the elders, to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. So elders don't, are not a law unto themselves, uh, but elders are responsible directly to Jesus himself. And Peter calls our Lord Jesus the chief shepherd. So elders are to be under shepherds, responsible directly to the headship of Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. And they are to do it willingly, Peter says. They are to do it as examples to the, to the flock. Um, notice also that in the New Testament it, it, it teaches a plurality of elders or pastors. But the idea of a one pastor church came later after these, the early church. Uh, but the early church clearly, as you see in these verses, had a plurality of elders or that was the ideal in every church. Acts 14 appointed elders for them in every church. Elders plural. Paul sent for the elders of the church of Ephesus. There was a plurality. Let the elders who rule. And again, in Titus 1.5, appoint elders in every town. So I think it, it clearly says that the best model for church leadership is a plurality of elders or pastors. And I think there's some good reason for that. I think there's some good benefits in having a plurality of elders in the church. One of those is that they, they, there's accountability. Um, it ensures accountability amongst the leadership by having a plurality. Not only that, but the workload can be shared and it also allows for the complementary giftings of the individual elders to work together well and to best serve the church as a whole than doing it individually. 
So that each of us as elders have different giftings. We think, we don't always think the same. We have different personalities. We are given different spiritual gifts. Each of us come together and together we are complementing one another in overseeing the affairs of the church. Okay, so that's elders. Let's have a look at deacons for a minute. The word diakonos literally means one who serves. Uh, now you probably say, well, isn't everybody in the church meant to serve? And that's true. Everyone in the church is meant to serve, diakonos. But Paul also mentions that there are some who serve in the church who are publicly recognised for their leading in relation to serving in the church. And so when Paul writes to the Philippians, Christians at Philippi, he says to the elders or the overseers and deacons. He makes a distinction between them and he makes a distinction between them, the elders and deacons, and the rest of the church. Okay, so that's the deacons. Okay, so let's move on to recognising elders and deacons. Now, more than 20 years ago, uh, I was much younger, weren't we all? And I was in a church where there was a good Bible teacher and his name was Tom Heasley. Some of you may know Tom. And Tom was uh, preaching a sermon about church leadership and he mentioned three things that are necessary uh, in recognising uh, elders and deacons. And I, it's always stuck with me, although I had the wrong first word. The first word was aspiration. I thought he said ambition. It wasn't until recently that he corrected me. It's a much better word, I think, aspiration than ambition. Um, <clears throat> and then I found out that these three A words he got from another teacher, Tom Carson, probably Bill remembers Tom, uh, 50 years ago. And probably Tom Carson got them from someone else. Maybe it goes all the way back to the Apostle Paul, I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> these are the three A words, and I think... They're easy to remember, and as you go away today, you might not remember too much, but if you put them under these headings, then you remember a lot more. Aspiration, aptitude, and acknowledgement. There must firstly be a God-given desire to serve God's people in this way. Uh, secondly, there must be aptitude. In other words, there must be one who... Uh, has the biblical qualifications, and that's what we're going to look at particularly. And thirdly, there should be an acknowledgement where members of the congregation recognise those that God would have lead in the church. And so I just want to use these three uh, to give us some structure for today's message. Now, aspiration, this is what Paul says in 1 Timothy 3.1. He says, here's a trustworthy saying, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. He's saying it's a good thing, a noble task. Now, he's not talking about someone who might like to be leader because um, of some sort of status that they think it might bring, but it's about a man who has a conviction about being in eldership in the church. It's a noble task. It's a good work. One must aspire to it, but that true desire... Um, must, to lead the, to the family of God, must be a spirit-generated desire. And Paul reminded the elders at Ephesus that it was the 
Holy Spirit who has made you overseers. So it's not simply a conviction, a personal conviction, but one that is born out of working with God. It's a conviction that comes from a sensitivity that the Holy Spirit's leading. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. So there's aspiration. Let's go to aptitude, the biblical qualifications for elders and deacons. And there's a few of them, and I just want to run through these. Um, you've probably read them before. We won't spend too much time. But here's, uh, here's some of these. A good reputation. So this is what Paul says, must be above reproach, respectable. We must have a good reputation with outsiders so they will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. So he must have a, a good reputation both within the church and outside of the church. Um, that's not to say that um, an overseer should never be criticised. Um, there must, I think what he's saying is there must not be anything in the overseer's life which can justifiably give cause for criticism. Um, now that's not to say that elders are perfect, far from it. But an elder... Um, should strive to live blameless, a blameless life, and they should be morally pure. So, good reputation, family life. What does Paul have to say about that? Well, he says the husband of one wife. Well, that doesn't mean that uh, an elder must necessarily be married, although in biblical times it would be very unusual for a, a mature man not to be married. Now, some people have translated this to mean that it's someone who has only been married once, but I think most commentators don't agree with that, uh, that there's no justification in the scriptures for that, because a person uh, does, uh, the scriptures don't require, for instance, widows or widowers to remain unmarried when their partner dies. So I don't think he's teaching that. But what Paul is teaching is that overseers are to live morally upright lives. They should be faithful to their marriage vows. They should be a one-woman man. They must not have relationships with other women and they must certainly not have more than one wife at a time. And you chuckle at that, but in Kenya, it's an issue. Polygamy is an accepted part of the culture and when it comes to church leadership, there's an issue there which you don't find so much in Australia. Uh, so this family life, but what do we have to say about that? Well, there's something he says about children. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how will he take care of God's church? And in Titus, uh, he says something similar, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. So here the emphasis is on the man's leadership abilities in his own home, in his own home, to keep his children under control. It's not to say that their children must be perfect. That's an impossibility. The word manage is all about leading, but it also has the idea of providing or giving a sense of direction. So as the man would lead in relation to giving a sense of direction to his children, his household, so he's going to be called to do that within the church. And so Paul is really saying that leading in the church is, is more about managing a family than it is, for instance, say, managing a business or an organisation. 
So just because someone may be a good business manager does not necessarily qualify them to be a good elder in the church. And what Paul says here is about children, he's referring to minors, what we would say is minors today. Uh, and I think there's been many good elders who have led their families well, but they have found that as their children have got older, one or more of them have uh, rejected the faith that they were brought up in. And they have wandered away from the faith. And I don't think that necessarily disqualifies someone from leadership because it's describing one who, has, uh, who manages their family, their children, as they are growing up to the point where they take responsibility as an adult. Okay, so there's family life. Then there's personal self-control. And there's quite a number of expressions that Paul uses here about having personal self-control, temperate self-control, discipline, not overbearing, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not quick-tempered, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, not pursuing dishonest gain, loves what is good, upright and holy. <clears throat> That's quite a mouthful, isn't there, of words there to describe uh, the person who's a potential for, for to be an elder must have self-control. These words, temperate, sober-minded, disciplined, they're all words that relate to being self-controlled, self-disciplined. If you cannot control your own desires, then you'll not be able to lead others because you will have struggled to get your own desires under control and it will undermine the work of an elder. That's what he's saying. And, and there's a few areas of self-control where self-control needs to be exercised in particular. Uh, one of those is alcohol. It's not saying here that's, that an elder can't have a drink, but uh, he mustn't be a drunkard. He mustn't have a problem in this area because alcohol is a deadly tool in the devil's hands today, isn't it? And uh, we see it in our society and it can bring shame on the church and reproach to the gospel and restraint is what's needed when it comes to these sorts of things. Again, self-control, self-discipline. The area of money, we're not to be a lover of money. Jesus said you can't serve money, uh, God, and money. And if someone is working every available hour to fund an extravagant lifestyle, uh, their sights are then really set on the world and not on the church. So they're really not qualified to lead God's people. And materialism is a big problem, isn't it? It's, it's, we're not immune to it. And neither, is, neither are elders immune to the temptation of materialism. Uh, he should not be violent, Paul says here. Um, and really what this word means is a bully. You don't want to bully as an, as an elder. Um, and I guess we've probably known some bullies over our years, if we've, if we've got a bit of experience there. People who throw their weight around instead of shepherding God's people. Um, instead, he must be gentle, not quarrelsome. It's not to say that an elder won't correct or rebuke people. That's part of being an elder. But he's to do it gently. He's not to do it the Nehemiah way. I don't know if you read, if you read through Nehemiah. You get right to the end of Nehemiah and God's people were mucking up. And he thought he should bring them under control. So he, he firstly cursed them and then he, he beat them. And then he pulled out their hair. And then he made them say or make oaths or vows that they wouldn't do it again. Uh, probably that's not a good model for church discipline. Rather the elder is to be gentle, not quarrelsome, 
not trying to pick a fight all the time, not being confrontational as the first line of defence, which often is, is, is an easy, easy route. Uh, okay, so to be sober-minded, self-controlled, it also implies that a person has uh, sober judgment and discernment. So someone who is prone to uh, emotional extremes perhaps you really shouldn't be uh, looked at for as, as, as an elder. Okay, so the elder must have relationship skills. A lot of these, remember, will be the same for deacons. Uh, relationship skills with people, we've looked at this, gentle, not quarrelsome. Uh, hospitable. Uh, an elder should be hospitable. Hospitality is a great tool for ministering to people and one of the great ways of getting to know people. So hospitality should be that which marks an elder. And also spiritual maturity. He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Uh, there's a sense, there's a certain spiritual maturity that a person must have. So an elder needs to be saved for some period of time. Uh, he needs to be someone who understands the essentials of the gospel and has a, a grasp of the word of God. Uh, the length of time is not mentioned. There's no time mentioned here. And it's, it's I think the intention of the word elder is to indicate this that they have a sense of life experience and spiritual maturity. The words young and old are relative. We should think more about mature, experienced and wise. So it well, could well be that in this church, the next elders are those from the younger men in our congregation. Uh, you see, you could be 90 years of age and still be a, a babe in Christ. But I have seen in Kenya many times where churches are planted with brand new Christians and in a very short period of time God seems to raise up young men to take leadership and, and they reach a stage of maturity very quickly. Now, that may be what we have here in our church. Okay, Bible knowledge and communication uh, Paul says they're apt to teach. He also has some things to say in Titus 1.9. I'm going to look at that next week and when we look at the roles of elders and deacons. Uh, but an elder must be able to teach and defend the faith. Uh, that's not to say that an elder must be a gifted orator or a public preacher of the word, okay? We sometimes think that, but that's not necessarily the case. Uh, I've known a number of elders who were not great gifted preachers publicly, but they were great elders where they could teach and apply the word of God to small groups and individuals. And in my particular case, they were great mentors to me, older men who couldn't really get up and preach very well, but they really excelled at applying the word of God to us, to me as a young man. Okay, aptitude about, when we look at aptitude, the biblical qualifications of deacons also, Let's have a look at that. There's, there's really the mention of those is just in 1 Timothy 3, 8 to 13. Deacons likewise are to be men worthy of respect, sincere and not indulging in much wine and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested and then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect 
not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be the husband of but one wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Now, what do you notice about that? There's a great overlap, isn't there, between the qualifications of deacons and elders. In fact, what Paul starts off and says, deacons likewise. So there's a great overlap in the qualities required of elders and deacons. And when you examine it, it's obvious that there's a lot that's common to both. Um, What Paul is really saying here is that the church shouldn't have leaders whose domestic life is in a shambles, who quarrel with one another, who are the scandal of the community, and who drink too much. Uh, The church must develop uh, new leaders who are above reproach, they're committed to the gospel, they're men of integrity and spiritual maturity. And when you look at those qualifications, I think the other thing that you notice is that don't most of these... Shouldn't they apply to every Christian? There's very little in the qualifications spelled out for elders and deacons that shouldn't apply to every member of the church. Every Christian should be characterised by these things, shouldn't they? Shouldn't all of us live lives above reproach? Shouldn't we all live lives committed to our marriage vows? Shouldn't we all live lives striving for self-control? Shouldn't they be things that are characteristic of every Christian? Yes, they are. But in particular, elders and deacons are to exemplify those things as they lead in the church. Now, what is the main difference between elders and deacons? Well, I think uh, Paul spells that out here. And that although a deacon must hold, keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience, only an overseer or an elder pastor is required to have the ability to teach the word of God. Uh, So, overseers or elders who watch over, lead the local church, they teach the word of God while deacons work alongside them. Now, they often work alongside in practical matters, and we'll talk more about that next week, so that the elders can exercise their ministry effectively. And notice also that the deacons are to be put to the test. Now, that's, that's not saying that... Paul's not saying that you have to have a formal written test to pass as a deacon, uh, but they do have to be observed comes back to this acknowledgement thing again, observed by the members of the church to see whether they are suitable, suitable uh, as deacons, of the role of deacon. And while this testing is not a, an explicit requirement for elders, I think it is implicit anyway in the list of requirements that Paul outlines anyway. Now, there's one more issue I think that we need to look at, and it's this issue that we find in 1 Timothy 3.11. And this is what Paul says, in the same way their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. Now, the word for wives there is the word uh, gunaikos. Uh, It comes from the word gune, which can be translated either wife or woman. So what is it? Well, different translators have wrestled with this. Uh, So there is some confusion, perhaps. Uh, What does it mean? If it means wife, then it would refer to the deacon's wife. Uh, If uh, Paul meant it to mean women, then it would be he's referring to deaconesses. So deacons not simply being a role that male members of the church take up, but women also. 
Um, and if it refers to a deacon's wife, then why aren't the wives of elders mentioned? Um, explicitly, anyway. Maybe what it is, is that Paul is speaking about the wives, but when he says there, he's referring to the wives of both elders and deacons. Well, I think that has some merit. If it refers to deaconesses, then why does it come in the middle of a section that deals with male deacons, uh, which would give support to referring uh, to wives of deacons? Uh, and those who, refer, those who think this, uh, and you may be one, that uh, Paul is speaking about deaconesses, would go to Romans 16.1, where Paul commends Phoebe as a deaconess in the church of Sencrea. But other versions say simply that Phoebe was a servant in the church because that's the simple rendering of that word. It just means servant. Um, and it doesn't necessarily refer to those who are recognised deacons in the church. Whatever your view is of this, um, these women must be dignified and worthy of respect. They must not be slanderers, they mustn't be malicious talkers, they mustn't spend their time gossiping about others, passing on erroneous reports or malicious reports designed to injure or the reputation of others. They must be temperate, they must be self-controlled, they must exercise restraint and finally they must be trustworthy in all things. That I think perhaps means that they're trustworthy in relation to the fundamental truths of the gospel but also trustworthy, I guess, in relation to everyday life, that they can keep confidences as should the elders and the deacons. All right, so we've looked at aspiration, we've looked at aptitude. Now we come to acknowledgement. And it's important that a prospective elder and deacon is recognised by the current elders and the congregation. Generally, you see, someone may aspire to be an elder in the church, a pastor, but they may not have the aptitude, they may not have the biblical qualifications. So that's one thing. Or, and remember, I should say that these qualifications are not an exhaustive list, so it's not simply a check the boxes uh, and say, well, he didn't talk about lying, so it's okay for an elder to lie. Uh, that wasn't one of the boxes ticked. No, it, it's talking about godly character. And obviously, he's picking on some of these things that had particular relevance to the church at Ephesus and the church at Crete. Uh, so we need to use our common sense when it comes to that. Um, others may feel that they have aspire to being an elder or deacon and they think, well, I ticked the boxes. I'm obviously a good candidate for an elder or a deacon, but... The problem lies in this, that no one else sees that. Uh, and that sometimes happens, doesn't it? We think it's very hard to see how we are viewed, isn't it? We have a view of ourselves and sometimes there are honest people who tell us how we really are. Um, and hopefully they do it in a lovely way. So when it comes to acknowledgement, recognising these, that these people have the qualities necessary for future elders and deacons of this church, we're asking you to respond with doing that survey form if you can, okay? And uh, that we want to know what you think about the effectiveness of the current leadership, but we also want you to think about who may well be future leaders 
elders and deacons in this church. And that's your opportunity. There's two sides of the survey. The front page is really about, in a sense, character. And the back page is things like, what do you think we're doing okay at? What do you think we should be doing that we're not doing? What do you think we should start doing that we're not doing? And then who do you think may well be those who God has fitted for uh, elders or deacons? And the method of appointing elders and deacons is not clear in Scripture. Uh, But we believe that the best way it is done is by the existing eldership in consultation with and acknowledgement by the church congregation. And to that end, that's what we're doing. So we encourage you to give us your feedback and complete the form. And of course, if you want to see us individually or personally, we're here to talk to you over these next couple of weeks. So hold on to that form. If you want to fill out part of the form anonymously, take two forms and just give us back one with your name on that you're happy to give your name on and you can give the other part back anonymously if you like. So if you'd like to give us a real beating on the first page, just don't put your name on, that's okay. On the second page, you might want to put some names and why, you can do that, okay? There are some forms at the back where they're separate, the front and back page are separate and you can do that if you like. So keep hold of it over the next week or so and then give it back to us so that we, um, we can really pray about that, the future of our church. Okay, well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it comes to us with clarity all these thousands of years later and instructs us about our church life. Help us, Father, as those of us, in, uh, as elders and deacons in this church, to live lives that are above reproach. Uh, Lord, help us to live lives that seek to honour you and to glorify you in everything. Help us as a congregation to think deeply about where you are leading us. We would love to see a church filled with people uh, who are new converts. Lord, help us, each one of us, to see that become a reality. Lord, just help us as we think about these things next week, what you want for our church and particularly in relation to leadership. Give us discernment, give us wisdom, we pray as we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.